And uh, when you think about this, trust and commitment, uh, those are some very difficult things. Uh, to trust, Vance Havner told the story of an elderly lady uh, who was greatly disturbed by her many troubles, both real and imaginary. Finally, someone in her family tactfully told her, Grandma, we can, we've done all we can for you. You'll just have to trust God for the rest. A look of absolute despair spread over her face as she replied, Oh dear, has it come to that? Havner commented, it always comes to that, so we might as well begin with that. Amen. And tonight, here in 2 Samuel 22, truth be told, we do live in a culture of mistrust. I mean, there are tremendous, and as I discussed that this morning, uh, there's relationships and the whole idea of what is trust, who can I trust, how far can I trust, I'm, this, uh, how much should I commit myself to this person. We live, I mean, there's how, how much do I you know, trust my family, friends. This goes to the absolute core of who we are. And the issue of trust, and specifically a trust in God, will determine how committed I am to him. If I love God, I'm going to trust him and I will be committed to him. Now, in the idea of trust, confidence, trust is a confidence, a reliance, or resting of the mind on the integrity, veracity, justice, friendship of other sound principles of another person. Trust is a matter of your heart. The more people live for themselves in our culture, and the more they are driven by their pleasures, it is harder to trust people because they will turn their backs on you faster than you can even think. They'll stab you in the back because their highest trust is themselves. Their highest commitment is themselves. If you're along for the ride and you're with them, it's fine. But as soon as you have any disagreement or any odds or it's inconvenient to have you with them, they'll turn on you. Because we have a society that does not know how to trust, but has a faulty trust, has a faulty foundation, because they themselves are their own foundation. In marriage, when you think about, I heard this statement, I was listening to Jordan Peterson, he's got some things that aren't necessarily good, but he made a statement, he said, the very bedrock of society is trust, and there's no, and then he talked about marriage as the greatest illustration of trust. You think about in marriage, your body belongs to your spouse, both husband and wife, to each other. It is a place of vulnerability. In order for that relationship to be meaningful and fulfilling, there must be trust and commitment, which is love. The reason is that commitment necessitates I give up my self-interest for the welfare and the well-being of someone else. Jesus showed us this here in Philippians 2, as I discussed this morning, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He was vulnerable. His commitment was all in. When you think about, let me give you this definition again, commitment is defined as the act of pledging or engaging, the act of exposing or endangering. You make yourself vulnerable when you're committed to someone. Trust is absolutely critical to any real and lasting relationship. And if you want to do something for God, and you want, to do, and you want God to work in your life, you're going to have to trust Him. 
and you're going to have to be committed. In 2 Samuel 22, verses 1 through 7, follow along with me as I read this again, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all of his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. Remember, Saul had numerous occasions trying to kill him, and sometimes even sitting at the table, he would throw a spear at his head. That's not so friendly. Verse 2, and he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock, and him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. When the waves of death compassed me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. Excuse me. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple. And my cry did enter into his ears. Think about this. I mean, Saul, in his arrangement uh, of the marriage to Saul's daughter, Michael, would make a scenario which would endanger David's very life. He was to go essentially kill a hundred uh, Philistines. It was just, David is saying, you know what? I had man that was against me, but God, he's for me. And you must let a love for God be the foundation for all of your trust and your commitment. If you cannot trust God, you're going to be trusting yourself or someone else. And you will find yourself in some very unsavory conditions. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. And God, again, I ask for your help tonight. Lord, as I complete the message I started this morning, Lord, I pray that it would challenge hearts. Father, how we just need to trust. Lord, David had nowhere else to go. He was powerless. Lord, that is where we need to be. Vulnerable and powerless before you to trust you alone. God, I pray that if there's anyone tonight that is not saved, that they would put their faith and trust in you. Jesus, I love you. I thank you for being an amazing Savior. Give us a wonderful night. I'll thank you and I'll praise you for all that you'll do. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Just a little review. I did speak about a trial of fear. When you think about a trial of fear, verses 5 and 6, when he says, The waves of death compass me. You know, many, every, I imagine everyone here has encountered death Maybe some sort of ridicule in some form, whether in school, kids made fun of you, parents made fun of you, uh, and, and possibly you've had even a place of, you know, where your life was, you know, was one of those moments where you almost died. The makeup of a trial is that trials push your emotions to a point that it shows where your foundation is. Your emotional fortitude is, timed, is tied to whom you're committed and to whom you trust. So what happens when the bottom falls out in your life? Where do you turn? How do you respond? The story is told of an old man who was wandering in the desert looking for water. He approached an old shack and on the porch he found a water pump. Next to the water pump he saw a one-gallon jug. A note on the jug said, use all the water to prime the pump. The man's instinct said to drink the water and not trust the pump. Nevertheless, 
He poured the water into the pump and began pumping until, until an abundance of cool water came to the top. The Bible's like the note on that water jug. Sometimes the instructions contained in the Bible do not make sense to us, but it is always right. David says, the God of my rock, in him will I trust. Here is a man wandering in the desert, parched and thirsty. Your, every, your emotions are saying, uh, I shouldn't follow the instructions. I need to do this. This is what I feel in my heart. The instructions say otherwise. Where are you going to go? What decision are you going to make? You see, this is what happens during trials. And we understood that the makeup of Christ is that when the, shep, when, the, when the thief comes, when the wolves are coming, when the trials are there, he says, listen, I'm not running from you. It's the hireling that flees. It's the person who's only, it's their job, but it's not their passion. And they run. They, they hit the road. I'm out of here. This is too much. You see, it's in these trials. It's a test of our focus. This is the second point I spoke about this morning. In my distress, where's your focus? I mean, you can very well get a call on the phone that a, a, a beloved one, you know, a loved one, an email, some sort of communication, someone comes to your door, police comes to your door, opens it up and says, so-and-so has just passed away, and you're absolutely broken. You're stunned. You're just like, <gasps> the breath is taken out of you. It's in these moments of powerlessness to what transpires and what you hear that can lead you to several different conclusions. Number one, you can hear this news and have utter despair. You can be angry. You can be outraged, you can be bitter, and you can, or you could even isolate yourself. Number two, you can have a self-deceived notion that you'll rise above this tragedy on your own. Number three, you can desire to seek a secular source for assistance. Number four, you can seek another religion. Number four, you can seek Christianity on condition with God. God, you help me with this, and I will serve you with my life. How many people have had these kind of Hail Mary prayers? And I'm saying Hail Mary as in like football. I mean, it's like at the end of the game, all we have left is throw that ball as far as you can, get down the field, hopefully it makes it, and hopefully you get across the touchdown. Because you have no, and you're just saying, God, if you help me, then I'll do this. But David, in this situation, the real test of your faith is can you, when tragedy strikes or trauma happens, can you, without any reservations, any expectations, perfectly fall upon God? Because it's a test of your focus. It is the real test of your faith. If you, like many of us, seek the Lord with conditions attached, then it is not God who's in control, it's you. Many times people treat God for what he can do for us. I'll pray to God in the hard times and then he'll help me. I'll pray to him and he'll do this for me. You see, true love is seen in trusting the one whom you're making a commitment to. In John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. True love is seen in trusting the one whom you're committed to. If you trust yourself, and just a few 
points that I spoke about this morning, Lot chose Sodom and Gomorrah because it had well-watered plains, beautiful city. I mean, it was a place he could settle down with his family, and it would cost all of his children that married, all of them would perish. His wife would perish. His two daughters, his two virgin daughters, would get him uh, drunk so they could have relations with him to have a child because they thought everyone else in the world was uh, possibly gone. And so they got their dad drunk to have relations in a disgusting way with him. They trusted themselves. Elimelech saw famine coming. He hit the hightailed it out of there in the very place of the promised land, he went to Moab, which was one of the children of, of Lot, of this bad, relate, the incestuous relationship. He left the place that is known as the house of bread for a place that merely was what it looked like. He didn't necessarily, go, he didn't go to God. There's strange women in the Bible, in Proverbs chapter 3, she tries to seduce a woman, a person who lives for their, uh, their physical desires. They live for the moment, the one-night stand, the, the week-long, the month relationship, the year relationship, but nothing of commitment for life. There's the rich man who lived fair and sumptuously. He had much wealth, uh, and he seemed like he had everything going. Maybe he didn't have a lot of problems in life. He had money. He could buy off things. And, and, uh, but in, in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. There's the good man of Luke chapter 12 we spoke about, who had all these grain silos, and he was just about ready to retire and sit back and, and enjoy retirement. And God said, tonight, I'm gonna, tonight's your last night of life. So in David in chapter, uh, chapter 22, verse 7, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. Dr. Harry Ironside taught that salvation was like Noah inviting an unbeliever to trust God's word and board the ark. Some believe that salvation is like Noah putting a peg on the outside of the ark and saying, if you just hang on through the storm, you'll be saved. God holds on to the Christian, not the other way around. Think about this as Noah is preaching... For a long time, it's going to flood. The world's going to flood. Yeah, right. Crazy Noah. What was the result of trusting God? One, saved his family. Everyone else, they lost their families. Now, picking up where I left off this morning, verses 2 through 4. David, verse, 20, verse 2 of 22, and he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. So what is the lesson of life? Many people do not learn from their hasty or emotionally riddled decisions until later in life. Something bad happens and you make a hasty decision. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I'm doing this. I'm running. Problem here, I'm gone. You run. Or you've got to get your little band of people together and try to help solve this problem. And it could very well be that the people you're with are a bad crowd leading you down a wrong path. Some that never learn. You get to later in life and you realize there were some bad decisions. Because you trusted in your emotions, you trusted in yourself, you trusted in a family member, you trusted in friends, you trusted in society, whomever, but you didn't go to God. 
And David's testament is that these enemies came against me and I went to my rock. You know what? We come to understand better through time and trials how faithful God really is to aiding us in the heaviest of waters. In Matthew chapter 7, in verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Excuse me. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. The fact is, where is your foundation? David said, the Lord is my rock. You know what, if you have a rock as a foundation, that's pretty good. It's not very easy to set a, a building upon, but <clears throat> it's a good foundation. I mean, I remember growing up, I was out on the West Coast, and a lot of people would like to build their houses on the cliff. They wanted to look out over the water. And then several years went by, and there was some erosion of that hillside, and these multi-million dollar houses are now like leaning off the cliff. Not very good foundation. You see, trust grows as we see the one we're committed to walking with us in life. Some of the greatest friends you'll make are made during some of your hardest trials of life. You ever had a time in your life and you thought, man, I thought this person and I, we're, we're close, we're best friends. Hardship comes and they're, they're not there. Someone else who you weren't really close with is there for you and you're thinking, wow, this person's a friend. It is the emotional pressures that either bind us or they break us. So your trust in God will grow you as you lean completely upon him for all of your life. Now, what do I talk about? What does this mean to lean upon God? That means when that bad news comes and you're there alone in your apartment or your house or your residence or wherever you're staying and you're there by yourself and you're just absolutely beside yourself. You begin to say, God, why? Why, God? And you're talking with him and you're praying. And, and I'm talking, you're just pouring your heart out. God, or, or something comes and, and something that came this week. And, you know, there's things that can come in. And maybe it's a big bill or something that comes in your life. And, and you're just like, God, that's a, that's a pretty hefty bill. I, I don't know how I'm going to pay it. we then begin to try to find solutions on our own. This leaning and resting occurs as life happens, and you bring your worries and concerns to him. You said, yeah, but it's a whole lot easier if I come and talk to you, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with talking uh, with a pastor or uh, a good uh, you know, Christian friend. There's nothing wrong with that, and that's a good thing, and it's helpful to have someone pray along, and I, I need that, and so do you at times. I mean, there's times I'm heartbroken. Things happen, and I said, hey, I just need a phone call, and I'll, I'll call, and I'll talk with certain close people in my life and, and uh, talk with my wife and we'll talk about it. But you know what? Still, the problem, sometimes these problems are, are much greater and I just say, God, I don't know what to do. I'm absolutely powerless. I'm out of human poss impossibility. 
And David here says, the God of my rock, verse 3, in him will I trust. You see, love demands the trust of God and a commitment to follow him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Don't hold back with God. You see, there is no seeking with God for self-preservation. There is no seeking for your own understanding of particular situations of life. I mean, you can come to God, and you come, and just as a child, be like, Daddy, why is this happening? Daddy, I don't understand it. Daddy, I'm mad. I'm frustrated right now. God, how do I deal with this situation? There are times that in the Psalms, David, he pours out his heart in such a fashion to God. God calms and stills his heart. What we ought to seek is his understanding and his direction in life. Lot, Abraham, for a brief period of time, the man with the strange woman, the rich man, the retiring man, would all learn that their own understanding and following their paths other than God desired was disastrous. Their outcome resulted in a view that was otherwise than David's, which was, he is my shield. Look with me here in verse 3. In him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my Savior. Thou savest me from violence. And this is the position that God wants. He is the authority. You must make the emotional step to suffer hurt, but also potentially reap great joy. You come to God in vulnerability with a position, understanding I could be hurt, but you know his character as the scriptures attest, he only seeks for your good. But that sometimes in our mind, I could be hurt, so I will not open up. What will, I, you know, and God may lead you to, you know, and sometimes God leads us to open up to an individual in our life. But I can't open up because if I do, I'll get hurt. Everyone else has hurt me, so I'll get hurt. That goes through our mind. We have to, in that mindset, you have to start off with, God won't hurt me. If he he suffered, and he died, and he was vulnerable, he was hurt. So I open up my heart to God, and I pour it out. And I begin to talk with him, and pray to him. And I'm right, you can either write it out, you can talk it out, you can go for a walk and talk with him, whatever you're doing, but you need to open up and talk with God. Because there are circumstances, and really life in general is where I need the guidance and direction of God. But I do not get it if I'm not trusting Him. Because God says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. You know what, when I married my wife, I was placing, and I continue to place, a trust in her words made on that marriage altar that she will be with me until death. No human relationship compares to a better analogy of trust than in marriage. Now, there's a lot of bad marriages. You either trust this person and commit to spending your life with them no matter what, or you fear the commitment and show a trust in yourself. A lot of marriages don't last because they said, well, this person just isn't fulfilling me. 
because you're the highest person you trust. You don't have it in God. A marriage where both people are trusting God, that's going to be a lot better marriage than if you're just trusting in yourself. This trust is to be in all thy ways. What do you mean all your ways? You mean, oh, sure, it's good in the good times to trust God. Oh, yeah, God's, the paycheck's coming in. The things are going well for me. The family's liking me. My friends are talking to me. Yeah, you thinking, all, oh, yeah, I'll just pray to God. What happens when the friends flee? When maybe, a, you know, paycheck has problems. How about Job? Oh, Job, you must be doing wrong. There is to be a perpetual and continual seeking of what to do with my life. And I ought to bring it before the Lord. It is when I take control of my life that it becomes more complicated, troubling, and possibly even more worrisome. What part of worrisome, anxiety, fretting has ever helped you in your life? Did it ever help you? Did it ever correct the situation? No, but it did cause increased stress upon your body. It did cause a lack of sleep. It did cause uh, maybe uh, physical problems in your body. It did cause friendship. It did cause irritation. It did cause a lot of things. But you, you know, many times because we just plain flat out, I don't get alone with God and I begin to talk with him. The lesson on foundations here, as David said, is the God of my rock, or the God is, God is my rock. This rock is not theologically and cliche sounding. It is relational and it is securing. As my rock, he is my anchor. He is the cave which I hide for refuge. He is the defense against the arrows of the wicked. He is the pillar to stand to warn of the advancing evil. He is the savior from the violence and from my own sinful nature. The Lord is my rock. This is a definitive statement. It's a present tense. Is a place that God is in my life. And rather than trying to get God to fit into my little box and work in the way that I want him to, that is, again, that's a form of idolatry to do that, as we spoke about in Sunday school this morning. You are of a lesson of choices. In verse 4, David says, I will call on the Lord. He decidedly chose to call on the Lord as a matter of prayer. How long is it oftentimes before you're thinking, oh, I should probably pray about this situation? Right? Many times we have a knee-jerk reaction to any adversity of life. This happens. Ah! Right? Been there, done that, right? Maybe not as dramatic, but nevertheless, there's still this great like, What God does is he uses, as David did with the enemies, he uses the hard times, he uses verses 5 and 6, waves of death, floods of ungodly men. He says, listen, David, you, God used that pressure. 
and say, David, trust me. Don't make that hasty decision. Get alone with God and pour out your heart. If you cry, cry before him. Do you listen to him speak to your spirit? In the not-so-distant past, there were some things I was, as I had mentioned this morning, and I was there, I was in my office, and I was just talking with God, and I was kind of a little frustrated. And I was talking with him. And as I began to go through it, God began to just reassure my heart, say, listen, it's okay. And also give a rebuke for my attitude. Friend, God gives direction through his word as I meditate on it. He speaks peace to my soul, which is your mind, your emotions, and your will. You have a choice to sulk and sour in your predicament, or you have a choice to take the afflictions as a means of praising God. Verse 4, I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. What? The enemy just tried to kill me. I just got deliverance. God's still worthy to be praised. God works when you release the control of your life. You know, many times I don't learn to trust God because when I don't learn to get past hurts of life because I don't learn to trust God. Someone does something to me, they hurt me, And I don't learn to just give them to God and trust Him to deal with that individual. I hold on to it. Because I think if I let go of it, subconsciously or however you want to think about it, if I let go of this, then this person won't get what they deserve. If I hold on to this hurt and how I've been wronged. David had Saul, whom he had helped, defeat Goliath. He married Saul's own daughter. He was best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. He sat at the table with Saul, thinking this is friendly, this is family, only to have a spear thrown at his head. And to have Saul chase after him into the desert to kill him. I tell you, that's, a, that's quite a bit of hurt. And David has the ability to say, I, God is my rock. I will trust him. You must know that God will work when you release the control of your life and you place the trust completely in him and you make a firm commitment or resolve to follow him no matter what. Many people do not experience the deliverance from God because they don't exhibit a trust in God. Sure, I'll trust God. I thank him for my food. Sure, I'll trust him for that paycheck to come in. Sure, I'll trust him in this. But you don't trust him with your emotions. You don't trust him with your heart. You don't really trust him. You're still in control. You show a love for yourself over a love for God. Because if you love God, God says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart all your trust, and all your commitment. If we can't let go of the wrongs and the hurts, and we can't let go of these tragedies in our lives of why these things happen, then we will 
we will be in charge and it will cause tremendous heartache. Many only have a commitment to themselves. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. David says, in the midst of unbelievable hardship, I can still praise God for who He is. And then he says, when I'm praising God, I'm saved from mine enemies. Sometimes God just wants to say, I want you to delight in me. Praise me in the midst of turmoil. He says, then I'll help you with your enemies. You have to trust me. As I draw this to a close this evening and wrap things up, can you imagine a society of people where everyone wholeheartedly seeks God with a complete trust in His providence to lead them in the correct paths of life? That would be a different society. Can you imagine a church where there is a complete trust in God? What would be possible? And the answer is whatever God ordained. Can you imagine a family with a complete trust in God? The children trusting the mom and the dad to do what was right. The mother and father trusting one another without thoughts of jealousy or any interfering distractions. The two pillars of love are trust and commitment. Christ demonstrated his love toward us when we were enemies of him. You see, the start to loving God is to trust. The start to becoming a Christian, Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why are you calling upon him? Because you're trusting him. You're committing your eternity into his hands. That's why religion fails. Because it's still the person you are in control. Or so you think. And the demonstration of our trust is our commitment. In Romans chapter 6, would you look with me here? I mean, David's testament of faith, he had Saul, who would create all sorts of lies about him, try to kill him. I mean, it was just all... And then, then Saul took Michael, his, his, David's wife, and gave her to another man while David was running for his life. You talk about hurt. It's in that same instance when Saul... You know, you think about this with David. David had the opportunity to, cut, to kill Saul. He cuts off a part of the robe of Saul and he repents. This is the same father-in-law that gave his wife away to another man. I think you and I would be hurt. I'd be furious. The demonstration of our trust is our commitment. Romans 6, verse Three, know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized in Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. 
If I've trusted him for my salvation, I ought to be committed to him. If someone wants to publicly declare their trust in Christ, knowing that they're saved, and make a commitment to following him, then the first act after salvation is baptism, seeking to join a local New Testament church where you live, and getting busy serving God. If there's a lack of commitment in your life in any area, you must get right with God and your fellow man today. The consequences for failing to trust God, even if the option is difficult to choose, is far worse than committing to trust God with all your heart and following His leading. You must let a love for God be the foundation for your trust and commitment. The twin pillars of love is trust and commitment. My friend, I will never know the goodness of God unless I just learn to trust. I've got to learn to be vulnerable before him. We like to think, oh, I'm, I can talk with him all day long about whatever in my heart. It's when that hard time comes and those waves of death, that trial is just bam, bam. I mean, just one thing after another just comes upon you and you're just like overwhelmed in sorrow. It's in those moments you learn how precious it is that you trust God and you're committed to him then you can still rejoice in your heart. Sorrow may come at night, but joy comes in the morning. In 1914, Ernest Shackleton and a team of explorers set out from England to do something that no one had before accomplished. They were going to cross Antarctica from one side to the other across the South Pole. Disaster struck when the team ship Endurance became entrapped in ice and eventually sank after her hull was crushed. Marooned on a nearby elephant island, there seemed little hope for their survival. In a desperate effort to get help, Shackleton and five others set out in a 20-foot lifeboat across some of the most dangerous and storm-filled waters in the world. It would be an 800-mile journey to South Georgia Island where help could be found. For 15 days, the men battled the treacherous seas and massive storms with waves up to 100 feet. Using only a compass and a sextant, Frank Worsley, who had captained the Endurance, navigated their course until they safely reached land and found help. Shackleton procured another ship and returned to rescue all of his men. He became a national hero in England for his courage and persistence. All of us are making our way through a stormy world. Ever since the first sin in the Garden of Eden, mankind has struggled to make wise decisions about an uncertain future. The only way to ensure you do not go astray is to have an objective source of truth that will guide you you got to trust someone. You know those men? They all trusted that one captain to get them to safety. Their entire existence lived, trusted in that one man. And just as a compass can guide sailors through dark and uncharted waters, God's Word, the Bible, can give us guidance through uncertain, difficult circumstances. We must simply trust it. Trust it over your feelings. Trust it over your own wisdom. Trust it over contrary advice others may give because the Bible is inspired by God. It is without error and you can always trust it. And with that, I can say as David said, verse 2, and he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock, and him will I trust. He is my shield 
and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my Savior, thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. When the waves of death compassed me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about and the snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. Christianity is not just, it's not religion. It's not some form of rules to do enough merit in your own power to, to somehow appease some divine deity that will uh, be satisfied with your actions. No, it is getting real before God, pouring your heart out. Sometimes Dave would say, on my face, and I don't know if you've ever been on your face before God, here you are, full prostrate out, and you're crying out to God, I have nowhere to go, why is this happening? God, where do I go from here? And you just spend some time there, where you're at, and you just pour your heart out, and you say, God, I'm not getting up until I get some answers. And he'll, you, and you begin to look at the word, and you study it, I promise you, he'll give you rest in your soul. Many times we just don't take the time to spend with him, to trust him, and be committed to him, to let him do what he wants to do. The twin pillars of love, trust, and commitment. As I draw it to a close this evening, are you willing to become vulnerable before God? We can say it with our head, yes, yes, yes. It's the hard times that test where your vulnerability is. To whom you turn. My friend, there is no greater thing to be committed fully to the Father who has all of time in view. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed this evening, First question is, have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? You can try all you want to work your way to heaven. It doesn't matter. You can try really hard, but you're still putting a trust in yourself, not in Jesus. It doesn't matter how much prayers and Bible reading you do. If you're trying in your own effort, you're not trusting Jesus. You must place your faith upon what Jesus did on that cross, his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of all your sins. And Christian, over these past two years, as life in general, as difficulties have happened in your life, and you think about the pressures that come upon you, where do you turn? How do you turn out to God? How do you pour out your heart? When you're done praying tonight, feel free to look up but I want to challenge you on the twin pillars of love, trust, and commitment. May we say, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. And we can affirmatively say, He heard me. Many times we just don't trust. And so tonight I, tr I ask and I hope that trust would be your first position with God.
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the day. Lord, it's been a good day to be in your house. Lord, it's been refreshing. It's been encouraging. Father, I ask that you would help us and show us your goodness. We find it in your word. Lord, I pray that you'd that all of us, Lord, would learn to trust you with all of ourselves. Trust in you with all of our heart. Don't lean into our own wisdom, our own ways, and all that ways acknowledge you. And Lord, then we can praise your name. We can rejoice in whatever state we are. So God, I commit tonight to you. I love you. Thank you for all that you've done and will do. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you.